Welcome to episode 68 of the Gunfurners podcast. Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell here with you tonight following Alabama's 55 to nothing win over Utah State to uh, to get the first win of the season, improving to 1-0 and on the year as they travel to DKR Memorial Stadium in Austin, Texas to take on the Texas Longhorns. The eyes of Texas are upon you. Should be a very interesting game. I know right now Alabama's sitting at about a 19-and-a-half or 20-point favorite, but – you know, as you listen to this podcast, we're, we're going to let you know. Uh, we're going to give you just about every way Texas can attack Alabama, and uh, we'll really break down this because, you know, a lot of people don't understand. Alabama was like an 18-point favorite at Texas A&M last year. I think they were minus 22 on the road at Auburn. Um, so we'll give you some more facts in that regard. Uh, Auburn beating Mercer 42-16 to 16 on the Plains, um, getting to getting to 1-0. and um, you know, it's maybe some quarterback controversy. We'll cover that between T.J. Finley and Robbie Ashford. Uh, Zach, Zach Calzada did not play. I'm surprised he's not in the portal already. But uh, we'll discuss that. And then, of course, you know, the big game of the week, uh, Alabama versus Texas, we'll break down that game as well. So, um, Lester, let's just be broad here. Uh, I'm going to let you get as detailed as you want to. But um, my first question to you Throughout, it can be anything you want to. It can be run game, pass game, D line, linebacker, secondary, special teams, whatever. What were some things? And it doesn't have to be one; it can be multiple. What were some things that you liked about Alabama in this first game? What were some things that you did not like? There's always room for improvement, so we can find something negative, of course. So, what were some things that you did not like as well about the Tides' 55 to nothing victory over the Aggies? So, um, things that I loved first of all um team speed on defense um team speed overall but primarily on defense everyone seemed fast um everyone seemed powerful getting to the ball and also on defense i know it was utah state but there were no defensive miscommunications at all point blank period and i mean i don't know i'm not you know in the locker room or however things are supposed to be covered but they looked Damn good. They look fast. Everybody knew their assignment. When the ball was snapped, everyone was ready to go. And um, I really, really loved that. Um, now um, I guess maybe one, two things that I didn't like was probably uh a little bit of execution on a couple of plays on offense. I believe um was it holding on that slant route? If he would have kept running, he would have caught the touchdown in the end zone. Ja'Cory Brooks. Ja'Cory Brooks. Mm-hmm. Um nitpicky stuff like that. Um Robbie Oot stopped Gibbs from running. He'd still be running if he didn't fall down and get in his damn way. But, um, yeah, just a little stuff like that. But all that's going to get cleaned up in the coming weeks, you know, as they get it on film. Yeah, some <clears throat> some of the stuff I liked. Um, I liked the run game at times. You know, last year with B-Rob, you saw a lot of straight ahead, three yards in a cloud of dust. I think that was um, maybe a weaker offensive line. Uh, besides Evan Neal and also the way the way that Brian Robinson ran the ball and what he did best. He wasn't an edge guy. Um, you know, I like some things that we did to get Gibbs on the edge. Um, you know, Jamaria Miller, I think he has a, a great uh, low center of gravity. I think he's got a great build for a running back. I was really impressed by him late in the game. Um, some things I didn't like, I, I didn't like the motion with Robbie Oots. Um it goes back to Slade Bolden. He has the same effect when he motions. Look, why do you motion? Let me just ask you that. J-Law, you call football games every week. What is the point of a motion? 
to see what the defense is doing, to to be able to dissect what they're doing, who's covering who, man's on, whatever's going on. And I know where you're going with this, so continue. Yes, and so whenever you motion, your goal is to get the defense to move. So if the defense does not move whenever you motion from the hash or from the numbers to the to the hash or to the middle or to into the formation, that's a problem. That means they're not worried about you. You're the last one on the field they're worried about. We saw it with Slade Bolden, who seemed to go in motion damn near every play last year, and the defense didn't move. Guys, when Devonta Smith motioned, everybody's hands went up, everybody's feet started moving, everybody's head starting to look around. Like, he was a problem. That's the kind of activity you want out of your motion. So I just don't understand the point. And maybe it'll be different with Latu in the in the game this week. Um, he will get the start. He will play. He'll be the primary tight end, um, slotting back into his original role now that he's 100% healthy. But I just, I just think that's terrible game planning and scheming is having that guy be your main motion guy. Sure, you had Prentice go in motion a couple of times. A couple of times it was holding, but majority of the time it was right. It was 45, and the defense just did not move. Um, another thing I liked was that you had three the three starting receivers all caught five passes, and you had three different guys catch two touchdowns. You know, Jace McClellan, Trey Sean, and Jermaine Burton. Um, I think this is something that you can build off of. And I know last year, as good as JMO and Mechie were when they were on the field together. I mean, you saw what they did in the first half against Georgia, even the best defense and maybe the last decade uh, could not get them off the field, could not stop them. But if you've got three guys that can make just impact plays at at any moment, and you got a guy like Gibbs and Jace that are able to catch the ball out of the backfield and turn a five-yard pass, five-yard check down into a 25-yard gain, that's just a different dynamic. And that's stuff that you really can't, prepare for I mean you know you can't that limits you being able to bracket a certain part of the field you know hey when this guy's in the slot we're going to try to bracket maybe the alley or you know anywhere to the sidelines and try to get him over there and try to maybe jump an out route or something like that keep him out of the middle of the field there's certain if you've got three guys on the field a an average tight end, you don't have to have Brock Bowers. You can have a, a guy like Latu who's an above-average receiving tight end and then a running back that can make plays out of the backfield. Now, all of a sudden, you've got five options. And uh, I think that's something that I really think we're going to be able to to run and, you know, shit, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. I think that's something we're going to be able to do. And if we are, then that, that passing game – is damn near unstoppable. Um, my last thing I didn't like, Bryce Young, way too much celebrating. First of all, learn how to slide. Um, and I do not like I do not like him just cutting and doing all this stuff, but the finger roll stuff and the jumping up and down. We just saw Mason Smith from LSU tear his ACL celebrating. He's done for the year. Maybe LSU's best defensive lineman done for the year because he was celebrating a play. That's something that you just absolutely cannot have happen. So, Bryce, learn a couple of handshakes with the guys. Don't leave earth. Keep your damn feet on the ground. Traylon, what you got? All right, so, listen, I I love the defense outside of the very first play of the game. I love what we – I love the physicality that Kyrie Jackson showed. I love the lockdown ability that Eli Ricks showed. 
And the, the pure respect from Utah State to not even risk taking more than half a second to throw the football. This is a team last year that was the best in their conference. They averaged 33 points per game. They played a lot of Power 5 schools on their schedule as well last year. So their numbers probably a little bit skewed. But, guys, this is a team that not only did they not score, they did not come close to putting a drive together that could lead to a field goal. I mean, like that, that is how good Alabama's defense was on Saturday. And I know we were talking about Pete Golding in some episodes recently. This is the year that, dude, if you can't, if you can't keep these guys together with no busted assignments, if this group of guys who's played so much football together can't be in the right place at the right time on the right play call, then you're not going to be able to get it done. So I'm very pleased with that, man. I thought Jalen Moody played very, very well. I thought Henry Toto dissected everything. The defensive line for me was – I know, listen, you're playing an undersized offensive line. The guys we rotated in were dominant. Otis, dominant. And you know what you're going to get from the outside the linebackers. Now, the offensive side of the ball, we were talking about this too. You know, every – a lot of those throws to Prentice were, were the things that we were running to Slade Bolden last year. And you see what can happen when there is some explosiveness in the guy that you're throwing the football to. I think that's what Kobe Prentice brings to you. Isaiah Bond played earlier in that game. I did not think that you were going to see any of the other wide receivers outside of Ja'Cory Brooks from the ones that started. Until the second half, Isaiah Bond played early. Um, if he ran the corner out a little better, it's probably a touchdown. But, heck, Bryce missed some wide-ass open guys in this game, too. Burton was open multiple times. And Bryce would get it going. But I, I was pleased to see the depth that we put out on the field in moments that weren't the end of the game and weren't handoff time. But I still need to see – I need to see the right checks at the line when it comes to protection. They pointed it out on TV that the first sack where we didn't score a touchdown was because Bryce didn't set his offensive line up correctly. And if you know you're going to get hit, then you have to have a quick check down. So we weren't in the right play, weren't in the right protection against Utah State. We're about to go in front of 100,000 yelling, screaming fans. So those are some things that you want to be I'm a little bit better on. But, man, that offensive line – to me, with the pressure that Utah State was bringing, they're looking at film from last year saying, where's there's a weakness that's on this offensive line? Listen, they had seven guys, eight guys in the box. They were bringing them. Alabama got hit in the backfield a few times, had some second and 12s, off some first and 10 run plays. But, man, overall, let that unit gel. My number one thing, and it's not Robbie Oots, is Kendall Randolph can't play. Listen, he can't play. He couldn't play tight end. He can't play tackle. And he's not a good guard. I'm just, like, Put Cohen back over there. You know who your best five guys are. We've been talking about it for six months. Play your best five guys, and let's let let's let's get it going because this this one matters. I don't care what Sark says that we're not going. This game doesn't determine what happens on December third. For my well being, I need to win this game. I mean, like this is one that I want to win. Yeah, Sark was definitely your uh, your favorite, most favorite. Uh... Office coordinator, Lee, since Lane Kiffin. Uh, took us a while to get used to Kiffin, but after 2015, I think we we fell in love with him and said, you know what, he's a, he's a genius. Um, but, J-Law, the receivers coming in earlier than you expected, um, I'm kind of with you on that. I expect to see Ja'Cory as the fourth guy, and I believe he was. But, you know, Isaiah Bond, Kendrick Law getting in there, uh, Christian Leary in the second half. 
do you think that's a result of maybe what happened last year? Um, as far as, you know, we ran the same three receivers. It seemed like 100% of the snaps. Now, of course, that wasn't the case, but I'm willing to bet maybe 80, 85% of pass plays um, when the game was not out of hand uh, were Slade Bolden, JMO, and Mechie. And you really didn't get a lot of reps with your backups. Uh, now, maybe that was a development issue. Do you think that's what it was? You think it was maybe this group coming in because you figured you'd see Leary you know, he's a second-year guy, but it was Bond. It was Law. So, um, do you think it's a result of these guys just being more mature and, and being more competitive and coming in and working harder than the group that came in last year? Or is it Saban saying, I can't get caught in a situation again, so I got to get these guys as many reps as possible with the first team? Yeah, I think I think it's both. I thought that we, we mentioned it last week, you have to do this. We thought that Saban wouldn't, but he did. But – I think these guys are better as true freshmen than the ones that came in last year, which is why they're on the field. But let's not forget, I mean, JoJo Earl was playing a lot when he tore his ACL against New Mexico State. Um, but to me, it speaks volumes about not just how good that Law and Bond and Prentice can be, but to jump Christian Leary, a guy who was not banged up last year, a guy who – had to play a little bit of running back, but should be very familiar with the offense. You have three true freshmen playing over that guy. And quite frankly, the the confidence to throw that corner route from Bryce to Isaiah Bond. Um, Bond was open, probably wasn't the best route, but it's still better than the little, what should have been, you know, Ja'Cory Brooks dragging across the quarter slash back of the end zone. Instead, he tried to turn it into a comeback, and it could have been picked off. Like, I think the trust factor for Bryce Young is like, we're not, why are we going to run Ja'Cory Brooks out here when he's going to get limited reps in this game and he's going to run the wrong route or stop on his route? I thought that was very comfortable for Bryce to be able to throw it to those young guys. And, man, how about – I mean, the side – Kendrick Wall almost looked like a mini tight end out there, just super swole. You can see it with the pads on. Like, I was impressed with those guys. And we they just – they went and just go out and run routes. And we threw – them the ball. So I, I I think that they are better than last year's freshman class when they came in, but also think it has a lot to do with, dude, you got to have six guys you can throw the ball to. I think Saban knows that, and they have to be electric. Lester, did you see the video of the celebration in the Auburn locker room after the huge win over the Mercer Bears? I heard about it. I didn't <laughs> – I heard about it. That's all I needed. I heard about it, and I was like, eh. Okay. You would have thought that they I I think the Rams had a smaller celebration after they won the Super Bowl <laughs> last year. It was it was pretty pretty impressive, um, to say the least. But uh anyway, yeah, Auburn, you know, they get to one and no, but TJ Finley, I think he started like eight for nine or something like that, and then ended up throwing two interceptions and in his like his last five or six passes or something like that. Um you know, Robbie Ashford comes in four for seven, those for a hundred yards, adds another 70 on the ground. Um, it's clearly he's a run first guy. So if you're Harson right now, and it's been all TJ Finley and fall camp, and I get that, you know, but practice is one thing, games are another. Of course, you want your team to what play like you practice. That's the old saying, that's what you've heard for a hundred years. But some guys, when the lights when the lights come on, and there's there's energy in the in the stadium, and there's a crowd in the stands, and they're yelling for you, 
some guys just perform better and some guys shy away from it. I'm not saying that TJ Finley, you know, shies away from the spotlight, but you know, this all we heard about was maybe he's where all the optimists over on the planes were saying, maybe he's improved and maybe he's gotten better. And Harson's been working with him. He's a quarterback guy and he, he hasn't shown any improvement. And I know it's just week one, but it's Mercer, man. You don't expect to throw two interceptions against a guy against a team like this. So if you're Brian Harson, where do you go with your quarterback situation? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I was really, really shocked um, when they announced Finley as the definitive starter a couple weeks ago. When you have him, Ashford, and Calzada, you know, on the roster, all it does is just let you know that they were still indecisive about their situation despite naming Finley as the starter. And that's just not a good place to be in. Um, when I initially heard, you know, people were texting about, you know, Finley's been benched or whatever, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, well, they're playing Mercer. They're probably up big. He's not benched. Ashford's just getting another, you know, he's probably just sitting, you know, getting Ashford to look. But no, he got pulled in the middle of a drive, right? That's what kind of raised my eyebrows. I was like, oh, he really did get benched. And all this does is let's know that that quarterback situation is far from being settled. J-Lo, what do you think on this? It's like, it's, it's, you don't want to say pick your poison, but it kind of is. It's, everybody talks about Ashford not being able, not being polished as a passer. And I don't think that's something that happens in season. I don't think, you know, I think you can get better, sure. But I don't think by, if he gets three or four starts that he's miraculously going to go on the road at Georgia and go 21 for 23 for 300 yards and four touchdowns. It's just not going to happen. So, it's a, you know, would you rather have TJ Finley, who's an inconsistent passer, but a statue in the pocket, or do you rather have Robbie Ashford, who's an incon- inconsistent passer, but at least has the capability to make something out of nothing? TJ Finley, to me, man, he, he won the job in fall camp. A, a graphic was made. It was posted to the official Auburn football Twitter account. Like, this was your guy. This isn't a when the lights turn on situation. You already this isn't Blake Barnett versus Jalen Hurts. You have a very big sample size of TJ Finley. This guy started SEC ball games last year. He played in the Iron Bowl, started the Iron Bowl. You know what you're going to get from him. So what can TJ Finley show you through fall camp that you didn't already know that wasn't better than Robbie Ashford. Like you went in this game thinking that he's better than Robbie Ashford, and maybe when the lights come on, Ashford is better, but you already knew what you had in T.J. Finley. Now, there's not a lot of tape on Robbie Ashford either. This isn't a good Auburn offensive line. He might be a little bit better suited to play, but Brian Horson's offense isn't built off zone read schemes. It, this is a pro-style type of offense that he was able to win with in the, in the Mountain West Conference because he had better players than everybody. Um, that's not the case at Auburn right now, sure. You know, Robbie Ashford looked very good, not taking anything away from him. But dude, once you settle in, now there's tape on Robbie Ashford. He's still got to play Penn State, LSU. Not saying they won't win those games, but this is a long season um, for for defenses to be able to come up with ways to stop you, find weaknesses that they didn't see. So, to me, I don't really make a lot of it. 
Auburn has made a living off of blowing out the little boys for the last decade, do they beat the shit out of everybody that's not the power five that they play? They will beat the hell out of you, and they will beat you into the ground, stumbling mud hole in you. I need to see Robbie Ashford against really good defenses. And if he is good against really good defenses, if he puts up the efficiency numbers that he put up, I will be the first one to give him his credit. Well, that's the thing is, to me, in, in this quarterback competition, I guess you can say now, I don't look at it as wait to see him against good defenses. You know, I, I look at it as you have two inconsistent players because uh, that's what they say. That's the notes on Robbie Ashford from the fall camp. That's why he did not take over the starting job is because, you know, you're wearing the orange jerseys. You're not allowed to run. Um, you're down on contact. And that can really hurt a, a dual threat quarterback. And, you know, it's just like Jalen Milrow. You know, in the scrimmages and practices, you have to sit there and you have to try to throw the football. And um, that's something that Nick Saban has said in the past. He said that whenever Jalen was a freshman, they kind of – he still wore the black jerseys, but he wasn't necessarily down by a touch. Um, it was more, you know, you had to wrap him up because they wanted him to work on using his legs. But he said he, he thinks they let that go a little too far. And so now, even though they have dual threat guys, it is down by touch. Um, so they may, you know, Milrow sit in the pocket and try to develop as much as he can as a passer because eventually you're going to have to do that. You've got to sit there and make plays from the pocket. But the problem is I don't think either one of them can do that consistently enough to win games versus Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Um, you know, right now, Based off of week one, you would think that Auburn's better than LSU uh, and better than Penn State on paper, um, and you got both games at home. So what quarterback has the best chance of winning you those games? To me, it's Robbie Ashford. Is because, you know, if they both drop back to pass and they get a rush, Ashford can just spin out of it and try to make something happen, even if that's just a throwaway. Even if he just gets away from a couple of guys, runs around, does some Bo Nick stuff, and just throw the ball away instead of taking an eight, nine-yard sack like T.J. Finley would. To me, I think that's where the difference is. If you're going to give me two inconsistent passers, then I'm going to wash that aspect of the game. And who has the ability, not necessarily in zone reads and quarterback you know, RPOs or whatever, but just in a straight-up drop-back pass, if something breaks down, they can take off just like Bryce Young did Saturday. Um, you know, TJ Finley in those same situations doesn't get out of those. And you're looking at, you know, 10, 12 yard losses instead of 30 yard gains. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Robbie could bring to the team. And I think that's who you're going to have to go with. I don't think Auburn has much choice there. Um, but uh, Lester moving into the, to <clears throat> the, the game of the week. Uh, college game day, just about every media. I think they said something. It was at Matt McLaren I was listening to, and he was talking about how usually the University of Texas allows like 300 media personnel or something like that in their stadium for games, and um, they've already given out maybe – I think it was over double that or something. I, I Don't quote me on that. I think it's some – anyway, this is a big game, and uh, I know the the point spread doesn't say it's a big game, but it is. And uh, Lester, <clears throat> you know, you've got a lot of matchups here. You got Sart versus Golding. You got 
Worthy versus the Alabama DBs, whether it's Ricks or Kool-Aid. I don't think we see Terry on Arnold in this game. I'll be shocked if they do. Um, I think Ricks is clearly the better player. He was in there like the second drive against Utah State. So Arnold was like running with the ones all camp, and all of a sudden, boom, second or third drive, he's gone. Uh, so I look forward to be Ricks and Kool-Aid. You got B. John Robinson against, you know, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Henry T., Jalen Moody all the guys, and uh, it's just – it's very intriguing once you start breaking this thing down. Um, but first, let's talk about the environment because you take away the Mississippi State game last year. I think it was 49-9 to nine or something like that. In true road games, Alabama outscored opponent, opponents 93-92. to 92. I sent this to y'all in a text earlier. You won 31-29 to 29 in the Swamp. You lost 41-38 at A&M. Um, and you won 24 to 22 at Auburn. And so in those three games, you outscored your opponents by one point. Um, now, you know, a win's a win, but you did lose one of the game, one of those games. So Lester, the offensive line miscommunications, the secondary bust, uh, is that something do you think we continue to see on Saturday when Alabama has to play in front of another hundred thousand fans and with the eyes of Texas upon you? Yes, I think communication is going to be an issue on both sides of the ball. Um, but yeah, that's definitely going to be huge um, with this offense and this offensive line. They've got to – I hope they were – I'm sure they're going to be working on silent counts or doing whatever they can this week because Texas are going to be fired up. Um, like you told us on the text earlier, it's going to be, what, 90,000 Texas fans, maybe 10K Bama, if that many. So it's going to be a huge disadvantage. and But I'm glad they had a little incident against Utah State. You know, Bryce shifted the coverage wrong. Um, I'm glad that's on film for them to talk about and them to go over um, going into this game. So Talking about um, Bama or Texas? Talking about Bama. Okay. Well, it's bad, it's bad that Texas can see it too because guess what they're going to do? They're going to confuse yeah. the hell out of them. I'll be prepared for it. So, um, but yeah, 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 that's all I got for that. Um, just, I just hope they're prepared, you know, that being in that road environment. I think they, I think Bama curb stomps them, but there might be a couple hiccups along the way. When you say curb stomp, I mean, I don't want to give you, I don't want you to give away your score prediction. Just, yet. you know what? I'll ask you later. Um, because I thought that a couple of weeks ago, um, and I told you guys, I said, look, I think Alabama beats the hell out of Texas. But now, you know, once you start seeing all the ways that Texas can attack you or Sarkeesian can attack you, you know, the offensive genius that he is. Um, and Saban did make a good point that made me feel a little bit better because they asked him, you know, since Sartre knows him, how that affects the game. And he's like, well, you know, we know him also. You know, they know Kyle Flood. They, they, there's multiple coaches that coach for Nick Saban on that staff. So Saban knows all their tendencies as well. But it's just this game gets a little more scary, a little scarier once you really start breaking it down. Because to me, Alabama has struggled covering running backs and tight ends. I think that's where he goes. I don't necessarily see Xavier Worthy, you know, going off for 200 yards, three touchdowns, having a Devonta Smith-type performance. I don't think that because uh, you've got to get time to do that. And, you know, Texas starts two true freshmen on the offensive line. I think another one's a sophomore. 
Um, so very, very young. Uh, the scene they're saying is a year or two away, but good players, don't get me wrong, but young. And you've got a you've got the the duties of blocking Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. Good luck. Um, for anybody, much less an 18, 19 year old kid. So I think that takes away the deep passing game, unless you want to leave in a seven man protection. But then you've got three guys on routes versus five or six, you know, cover guys. So you really got to be creative and you really got to make sure you're throwing to spots and get the ball out on time and, and deadly accurate. But, you know, I see Texas being able to attack Alabama on the ground. And uh, even though you might not have the power to move people up front, um, you know, Sart was very good at finessing runs. And what that means is, you know, pulling guards and centers and using a lot of mixed direction, um, throwback screen, or just in the run game, you know, misdirection plays, uh, tosses, you know, just counters, stretches, a lot of zone blocking schemes. I think if he can find ways to get B. John Robinson on the edge, he can make some big plays in the run game. Um, and, you know, if you can do that and establish that, then that opens up the quick RPO game to replace the linebackers that are having to sell out on the run. If you've got Henry T. and Jalen Moody who are now having to play on their toes, and every time they see that ball go into the running back's belly, they have to come up a couple of steps, boom, you got a receiver running a, a slant right behind you. And that can turn into big plays as well, especially if you miss a tackle with a safety. So that's where I see Texas attacking Alabama. Uh, Jaylon, what's what's an intriguing matchup? Or you know, you can talk as far as the crowd goes. For me, I think it's bullcrap that they don't, they're not even allowing the band to come. I mean, I'm sure that does not happen with other teams. That's just an Alabama thing. Um, you know, even if they're in the upper deck, I think it's crap that you don't allow the opposing team to have their band. Uh, I do expect there to be eighty-five to ninety thousand Texas fans, and anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand Bama fans, because Bama fans are trying to buy the tickets. But I mean, you know, I, I haven't really heard of too many that are going. Uh, I myself, I'm, I'm going to be able to go, so I'll probably release the podcast on my way to the airport, and so I'll definitely report back next week and let you know how many were there. Um, but yeah, tough environment. I'm interesting to see. I'm not going to call it either way as far as communication. Uh, I'm just going to wait and see. This is a show me game. J-Lo, what, do you, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of matchups do you see you playing out here and give us your, your take on the environment and if Alabama can overcome what they did last year and get a little bit better at controlling the situations that they're in on the road. Yeah. Number one, I've, I think I've said this before to you guys. I don't know why we're playing this game right now. This game has no benefit to Alabama. There's no benefit to Alabama playing this game. There's not a 12-team playoff. There's never been a two-loss team get in. Just to say Alabama loses this game, some freaky crap happens. you got to play perfect football the rest of the year. You're not getting in the college football playoff. So, number one, it doesn't make sense for teams like Alabama to play this because we don't need a resume boost because we literally will have to win the SEC to get to the college football playoff anyways. So now that that soapbox is out of the way, listen, Steve Sarkeesian is a genius, okay? This team that he has has more skilled talent than I think a lot of the, the unsmart people on the message boards are giving Texas credit for. Worthy is good. You have to account for him on every play. Um, Ajah Hall, 
coming in. He's going to start in this game, should start in this game, according to Texas beat writers. No, oh, I forgot. You can about say what you want. The guy's, the guy's got talent. He's got a chip on his shoulder. If there's ever a game that he's going to be focused for, it's going to be this game. I'm not saying he's going to go off. I'm just saying if there is one, it's going to be this one. Six foot four, really fast guy, big body. We got to cover him. Tight end, well, Billingsley's out, but, dude, their tight end was their leading receiver last week. B. John Robinson is the best running back in college football. If B. John Robinson played at Alabama, he would be our starting running back. So, let's not – I love Gibbs. He's an animal, fast as lightning. If B. John Robinson was on any SEC team, he would be their starting running back tomorrow. So, listen, there – and Quinn Ewers, if he is as advertised, which nobody knows – and the only reason he's at Texas is because he couldn't beat out C.J. Stroud, where there's 133 other quarterbacks in the FBS that probably couldn't beat out C.J. Stroud at, at Ohio State. That's how good he is. So, you know, Ewers, the X Factor, they love zone read. They scored two touchdowns on zone read face where the linebackers came up. Ewers has a quick trigger, just like Bryce gets his head out of his hand quick. They're going to throw it to tight ends over the middle. They're going to find ways to get their guys to football. I think the key for Alabama is – you're not really worried about blitzing. We well, some. It seems like forever. Pete going if he blitzes, it's been the wrong decision, and if he sits back, it's also been the wrong decision. Now, with the two edge rushers you have, with the dominant guys in the middle, you don't have to be real exotic. You can have five and seven guys in coverage. You can bring. I mean, five and six. You can have four and seven. So to me, it's how does Alabama neutralize the skill guys from Texas? We know we're better up front. We know that our offensive line should be better than their defensive line if this is on a neutral field. I mean, that, we know that. It's about how does our defense neutralize the skill players and how is our offensive line and Bryce, how, what is the communication like to get into the right plays, the right protection, the right checks? Um, to me, listen, they're going to try some stuff in this. I don't care what Sark says. This is a big game. This is the biggest home game for Texas in a long time. Because they don't play Oklahoma at home. Mm-mm. They play them at the Thayer. So, like, this is the, this is one of the biggest home games for Texas in the, since the Big Eight. I mean. Yeah, and you remember that when two, when LSU went down there in 2019, now we didn't know that LSU was real. Because you remember that that year, every single week for, like, the first six weeks of the season, J-Law's question was, is LSU real? Because uh, we really yeah. didn't know. Uh, but you know they went down there and Texas took them to the wire. I mean LSU had to com- had to convert like a fourth and eight or something like that, and ended yep. up scoring. And uh, that game was back and forth, and that was uh, what Sam Ellinger, at yeah, Tom Herman yeah. Ellinger, yeah. So yeah, I mean like that's the type of stuff I'm looking for. Listen, this I'm just that also that should have been a national championship. Big 12 winning contender Texas team that year. That's when they had a lot of hype, and that that's when Herman kind of fell. That's when he only had one more year left to actually do something. They fired him after 2020. But I'm just saying, like, this is a Texas team that can be dangerous if we're not crossing our T's, dotting our I's, and if we know Steve Sarkeesian is a better coach than Pete Golding. We know that. I mean, listen, we like last year's defense, we went into the year saying, you can't screw this up if you're Pete. I mean, look at this. This is as good as it gets. And that's before the emergence of Dallas Turner. I mean, dude, the hell was it? It was a battle. They've been back there forever. Like, you thought that you were going to be good. Still had a chance to win a natty. But Pete Golding's got – this is one of those games where I'm going to – we're going to figure out who Pete Golding is in this one. Can he actually be a great defensive coordinator, not just a good one? And we're also going to figure out if our offensive line and Coach Wolford – 
are, are they going – have they made drastic improvements since the end of last season, or are they just marginally better? So uh, there's a lot of storylines into this one. I'd say Texas has better players on the, on, on the outside than most people are giving them credit for. So I, I want us to be prepared for Xavier Worthy to be standing in the end zone by himself once or twice in this game with a tight end wide open down the middle because Sark's a genius and these guys are that good. And if they're not, hats off to Pete Golding and his defense. They came in this one ready to go. Yeah, one thing I want to see from Pete, and it's kind of a tribute to what you're saying, is shut down guys that you know can beat you. And if it is your tight end, if it is B. John Robinson, and most of the time running backs don't kill Alabama, um, especially in the run game. Uh, you know, there's been just a handful. You can almost count on two hands the uh, the amount of times that Alabama's given up 100 yards to a guy over the last decade uh, it has happened. But, I mean, you're not necessarily worried about that. But in the passing game, I want to see Golding shut down a tight end, a running back, and a stud receiver. Now, if you've got a wide receiver number two or a wide receiver three, that just goes up and makes plays on you, man-to-man coverage. Okay, I can handle that a lot better than a guy like, you know, Weidermeyer the last two years or three years just absolutely murdered us for Texas A&M, and every single year the dude was getting open, and we never made an adjustment to it. So I want to see Golding shut down guys that going into the game, these are three dudes, you know, we're not watching film on Texas for 10 hours a day. We don't have GAs you know, giving us game plan tips and stuff like that. We don't have assistants doing all this stuff for us. This is just what we see on stat sheets and off of, you know, YouTube videos. So if we're sitting here telling you, hey, the tight end can hurt you, the running back can hurt you, and number eight can hurt you, then I want to see Golding shut that down. That's what you're paid millions of dollars to do. You've got the best athletes on on that side of the football in the country at all three levels. No excuses. Go out there. I don't care if it's on the road. By now in year, what, five, you should be able to have a system where you can communicate uh, with your guys on the road and not get fooled and not get made look stupid. Um, So, you know, another thing, Lester, let me ask you this. This is one thing. This is a place where I have confidence. This is something that gives me confidence. What is the best defense that Quinn Ewers has played against? I guess you had to go back to shoot something. Some team he's played in high school. That's what, that's how, that was my question. Is it is it Lamo last week or is it you know one of those big Texas high school teams? Yeah, because it might be pretty close. And yeah, you know, last week was his first game since yeah ever high his school. first his first start. Yeah. You know, at Ohio State he got some scrub time where he handed the ball off. He might have thrown a slant or two, but uh, as far as starting and playing. You know, majority of the snaps last week was his first game, and it was against Louisiana Monroe. So, you've seen he's seen Ohio State's defense in practice. They're good, but I mean, I don't think they've been world beaters uh, in a while. Uh, and then you know Texas defense, who same thing. They're okay, but they're not good or great by any standard. So, what he's gonna see Saturday is something that he's never seen the likes of before. And I think that he can really get shell shot. Tell me what you think about that take. I think that it's even though you're you're in the confines of your own stadium, um, a defense can overwhelm you. I mean, look at what Georgia does to people, and Alabama's done it to plenty of people in the past too. 
Um, I think we've lost it a little bit in the last couple of years, but a good example is Will Rogers. Look at that guy the last two years. Uh, he's just gotten overwhelmed um, against Alabama. And, and you were – what are the chances that he implodes? Now, of course, you can have a Steven Garcia game. Sure, we're not counting that out. But I think there's a higher chance to me. That, that little thing in fantasy where you see the boomer bust, I think there's a lot bigger piece of the pie that's the bust – option this Saturday for, for Texas quarterback. So this is one of the reasons why I'm so confident in Bama um, over the weekend. I look for Ewers to have multiple turnovers in this game, whether it be fumbles, um, strip sacks from Anderson or Turner, one of those monsters on defense. Uh, and certainly I'm going to be looking for, you know, maybe a pick or two coming from the secondary. Because the secondary or the defense in general is damn good. And like I said, this is going to be the fastest, strongest, most physical team with a young offensive line. This is, a, this is a recipe for disaster for Sark, Ewers, that whole offense in general. Like, I mean, I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, that alone is you know, fueling my confidence in Bama for this game this weekend. Because, you know, other than, you know, like I said, high school football, La Monroe, you know, sure, you've played against the Longhorn defense in practice, but this is the best defense in college football coming in to your place in your second college football game of your career. That's huge. I mean, hey, we don't know how that guy's nerves is, um, how his nerves are. You got to take that into account, too. You know, once the lights come on, once you got 100,000 people looking for you to be the savior for that program, how was that guy going to handle that? We don't know, and I don't think he's going to handle it well on Saturday. Well, unfortunately, the lights will not be coming on because the damn game is 11 o'clock in the morning. Are they going to serve grits and eggs in the stadium, you think? Man, I get mad every time I think about 11 a.m. That just pisses me off. That game should be 8 o'clock, prime time, but damn fox i told that's told page i said you better get your ass up before 30 in the morning we got game day we got we're a mile from the stadium you have to walk everywhere as i said the traffic's terrible um it's going to be about a thousand degrees humid humid Ooh. but uh anyway um j law what else in this game is there anything else in this game that you wanted to break down go over um you know texas they got a pick six last week against Lamo. They returned a punt for a touchdown. Alabama got a punt blocked. That's something that a lot of I think a lot of people don't talk about enough is uh, is is how bad Alabama has been on special teams the last ten years or so. And Sark knows this. Uh, you know he was he was in the practices and everything, and he was in the the meeting rooms or, or the team rooms whenever who was it Arkansas ran the fake punt on us and seemed like. Every time people do it, they have success, uh, whether it's fake field goals or fake punts, um, except for Georgia in the 2018 SEC Championship game, of course. But, uh, yeah, is that something that you think could play a factor? Just just kick it out of the back of the end zone every time. Dude, listen. Don't make, kick it to the middle. Make them go 75 yards. Or make them get five first downs to kick a field goal. I mean – Make it hard on this. They're not going to stop us all day. And if they do, if we come out 2022 20, Iron Bowl style and we're just getting beat up front, that's embarrassing. This this defense, I'm just saying, 
this Texas defense is not even Auburn twenty twenty two defense. They're not. They're not great. They're a traditional Big Twelve type of defense. What does that mean? Not great at stopping the run. They have smaller guys that get sideline to sideline, and they take a lot of chances in the secondary. If you like Oklahoma State the last decade, dude, they pick off passes left and right. That's what they do. They take chances. It's also why they give up 50 a game. So, that, I mean, that's what you're going to see in this. They're going to take some chances. We're going to have to get some by them. A little cat and mouse between Goldie and Sarkeesian. But I definitely think on special teams, Utah State's coach or D.C. special teams coordinator, somebody after the game said, we knew if they punted a few times, we'd be able to get to one, which to me is like uh, – like what what are we lining up in that Utah State's coach can say, yeah, I think we can get to one of their punts. I mean, so that's not that's not ideal. You gotta get that cleaned up. But I do think you just gotta watch out because Texas can't win this game without taking chances. They know they're probably not gonna be playing in the college football playoff. They're in this game with nothing to lose. If they lose this one, they can still fight their way through the Big 12, even with a couple losses and be playing in the Big 12 championship game in Dallas and on December 3rd. So they can take some chances in this game, and I think they can really be a headache. I, I'm not I'm not picking Bama to cover a 19-and-a-half to 20-point spread. They might. I'm just not. I wouldn't do it. Well, let's go ahead and get into that. Lester, let's start with you. Give me your uh, your final breakdown and prediction or score prediction for this game. All right. I think that our defense swarms. I think that they're Come going to – now. Yes. I think that – Look, all right, so everybody talks about Sark or whatever, but as we were talking about before we got on the podcast, you know, 90% of Sark's job was done for him because he had the best athletes on earth. Right, and it's 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 not – I don't think it's as much of that. I think it's more of Golding on the road does not have a good pedigree. And well, that's I think the- that's something that we're worried about more than anything is that Sark knows that he will bust if you do this. If you're in a two-by-two and that guy comes over here, this is what Golding's going to, and then we got a wheel route or something that nobody – you see what I'm saying? That's That's where our concern is. Not necessarily athletes, because dude, on paper, this game should be thirty points. I mean, I think the only, I think you're getting ten point, or Texas is getting ten points just because of the atmosphere they're going to be playing in and the time of the day. Alabama's not used to playing eleven o'clock in the morning with it being this hot, because you know eleven o'clock in the morning here is seventy five, seventy six degrees over there is ninety. And so I think that's a little bit different. Uh, you're not used to you know getting up this early, going through your routine at seven to eight in the morning compared to, you know, 11 or 12 for a, a night game or, or a mid-afternoon game. I think that's that's more what we're talking about. It's less about talent for me, at least, and it's more about preparation and and, and adjustments. Man, I, I just wish one time we can just get into Saban's head and just tell him oh, what to do. That's why we <laughs> keep doing this podcast. That's the only reason. Maybe one day he'll hear us. Run the freaking offense. Quit this conservative BS, protect, yada, yada, yada. No, run the freaking offense how it's supposed to be done. So sick and tired of them being conservative on the road. But I I, I think that them has way too many weapons. I think that Texas is going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, and I'm, I'm going to call 40, 42-17. With a defense, defensive touchdown. Mm. You want to say who gets it or just defensive tutty? Uh, 
Kool Aid. That's my guy. Okay. It's probably gonna end up being battle, but I'm gonna call. <laughs> well, whoever gets it, I'll be happy with it. Um, I I can easily see this game being a lot like Florida last year, where Alabama jumps up early and then kind of you know goes conservative like they did. Has a couple of three and outs. All of a sudden, Texas finds a rhythm on offense and scores you know 21 unanswered or whatever uh, i can see this easily being a lot like that um i'm gonna say 38 21 i'm gonna say right now i'm gonna go 38 24 i'll give texas 24 points at home and i still think I, that wouldn't be terrible for the defense i mean you know in this day and age it's hard to it's hard to uh to hold somebody under 20 especially on the road um, especially somebody with his the offensive pedigree of of Steve Sarkeesian. Um, because you know, if you if y'all watched Pete Golding on the sidelines last week, boy, after they blocked the punt, he really wanted that shutout. He was pissed. You know, you had the pass interference waved off in the end zone and uh and he was he was cursing, uh, you know, but he, he really wanted because that's really hard to do even against uh, a, a group of five school. Um but I'm going to go 38-24, and I'm going to say Bama could easily jump out to a 24-7 lead, and then the game just get closer than everybody expected towards the end of the game. Texas stays in it with their big play capability. J-Law, what you got? Yeah, I got 41-24, 17. Let's say if this was 16 and a half, I would take it. Man, 20 is just a fat number to take on the road. Man, it is. I'm not even – I I almost think the eleven o'clock kickoff favors Bama more than a three thirty ABC on the road. And how how Alabama is that? Be, I just don't think Alabama needs the the motivation. They don't they don't have the build have up. The they don't have to yeah. wake up and watch college game day to get prepped for a game. Like Saban is the mentalist, dude. He he's gonna have his guys ready whether it's two p.m., eleven a.m., or seven forty-five at night. So just from a from a yeah standpoint to where they got to wake up early and go play a football game, Alabama's better on paper. Now if this is a five forty five and it turns into night in Texas where they've had all day to get amped up and juiced and the crowd's been drinking and rocking and <laughs> I mean you, you see what I'm saying? I think I think it can help not help them, but I think that the eleven o'clock o'clock kind of neutralizes the 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 a little bit of the big game factor we've had some good big noon kickoffs it's been it was the most viewed game every single week last year almost as far as from fox big noon kickoff but from a player perspective i don't really think it i don't i think it almost favors alabama a little more to play at 11 i know it's going to be hot well let me ask you this like how does how does game day work is there anybody that's going to be there like whenever he actually puts the headgear on yes everybody's got to be in the stadium that's a big problem, yeah. So, I mean, like – That's going to be interesting I'm, to see. I'm surprised game day is there, not because it's not the biggest game, but because their whole three-hour show on Saturday morning is going to be telling people, essentially, if you're not there, go watch it on their competitor, Fox, while they're going to have games at 11 o'clock on two of their platforms, ABC and ESPN. A little surprised about that. But, um, listen – I like this game, 41-24 Bama. This could be a 34-24 score with six and a half, five minutes left to go. I, I just don't see Bama blowing these guys out. And how you guys almost say, always say, I got to see it, show me. I got to see Alabama play great on the road in a hostile environment against a team with talent. We have more talent than Mississippi State at every single position. 
I'm not sure we have more talent at every single position in this game. But our skill guys are good. They have a better running back than what's on our roster. Quinn Ewers, you know, I'm saying like it's just not as definitive, I think, as everybody wants to make. It might be at 18 out of 22 positions, but some of those positions are the ones that we've struggled with. And and if Latu somehow retweaks a knee, their tight end is better than ours. I mean, like that, those are the things that that kind of keep me up at night in this one is that they're a little bit better than everybody thinks. And it is a, it is on the road at Texas and it's going to be hot as hell. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, if they're, they're such a young team and I get that, but playing at home, I think it kind of negates that fact. Um, unless yours gets overwhelmed, which I think is very possible. Like me and Les were talking about earlier, but uh, I think that, you know, it helps them being at home because they don't have to worry about crowd noise. They can, you know, wave their arms they can do the angles in the outfield and quiet everybody down if they need to um so i think that really benefits him now if this game's at home and it's 24 points i might or uh, if it's in bryant denny and it's 24 points i might take that spread i truly think a&m's or uh, a&m texas is uh is getting 10 to 12 points just from the home field advantage um and i think it's just solely based off the fact of the way Alabama played on the road last year because, you know, A&M last year, Alabama had better players in almost every position, just like J-Lo was talking about. Same thing in Auburn. I mean, look at the quarterback comparison there. And uh, Bryce Young just could not put the ball in the end zone. Um, Lester, really quick, rundown of the top four teams plus Florida because J-Lo's bet of the week, freaking nailed it. Congratulations. That's what I'm talking about. Actually, put money on the money line. You convinced me. Uh, I'm not a big gambler. I'm not going to go out and bet $100, $200 a game, but I'll put $15, $20 bucks on like 10 different games throughout Saturday. Um, and that was one. I took Florida money line, won something. So I appreciate you on that. Um, you can't tell me Dan Mullen, Lester, is not just kicking himself after watching Anthony Richardson. I mean, this dude went with Emory Jones last year. And I know Richardson was a freshman, but damn, that dude is electric. He's so big and he's so, so fast. fast. And he's fluid for a guy his size. I mean, geez, yeah. And you think that would be the prototypical guy for Dan Mullen's, you know, offense. But, yeah, oh, well, too bad Dan Mullen's a – he's just a goober. Like, he can't <laughs> – like, you can't have an unserious coach in a serious, you know – at a serious school, like it doesn't work. You can goof off at Miss State and nobody cares, but Florida's expecting national championships, and you can't be that kind of guy. You know what I mean? At right. Florida, where they have expectation. JLo, what do you think about Georgia um, blowout of Oregon? Um, not a lot. I don't think anybody saw forty-six points, but uh, you know, Bo Nix the same. Uh, so whatever hope that anybody had that he would go to the West Coast and be a different quarterback, nope, he still he still sucks. So uh, how about Kirby coming out saying that we just have better players in Oregon? It's kind of a shot. Um, I agree with him. And well, yeah, I, I mean, we all know it's true, but like, yeah, you see Nick Saban. I mean, even everybody he can say that about everybody that they play. Well, I just, I just, I just think that I was saying I agree with him, and he, and he proved it because of the way they came out. Dude, they didn't do anything special. They were bigger on both lines of scrimmage, stronger on both lines of scrimmage, and they just dominated the game. I mean, I, I, very, I, I think it's very impressive, but I think that 
I think that Oregon, by the time you get to the end of this year, they, they were blown out by Utah in the Pac-12 championship game last year. Twice, by the way, once in the regular season. This is not like a great Oregon. This is equivalent to Alabama playing Miami in the Chick-fil-A opener last year. I think it's very equivalent. Yeah, I can see that. But I can also see Georgia, you know, they reloaded. Sure, and everybody that thought they wouldn't, we all thought Georgia would be good. Um, but their schedule just sucks. I mean, they're there is so easy. They're gonna I can see Georgia doing the same thing they did last year, which is facing on a weak schedule. And you get Tennessee at home, you get Florida on on a at a neutral site every year that's 50-50. Um, so that's they don't ever they don't have to go to a true road environment. I think maybe like at Kentucky or something like that, but Kentucky's gonna pose no threat to Georgia. Um and so I see Georgia doing exactly what they did last year, beating everybody 45 to 10, 45 to 17. And then whenever they have to run up on Alabama in Atlanta, if Alabama's fully healthy, I think you're going to get a repeat performance where, you know, Georgia just can't stop Bryce Young and company. And uh, if, especially if everybody's clicking, you've got multiple threats. I mean, they couldn't even stop one guy last year, like one first round draft pick at receiver. They couldn't stop him. And um, and so if you've got three or four guys that are contributing in the passing game, like I talked about earlier, I think you're going to get a repeat performance of the SEC championship game last year. Um, Lester, Ohio State's kind of, you know, had some guys get hurt early. I'm definitely not going to write them off. I don't think anybody else is either. But um, what about Clemson? Talk about their offensive woes. What do you think about DJ? You think he's going to he's going to make it or you think he's going to get bench here soon? Yeah, yeah, Dabo's gonna have to make a change. I mean, now I don't think that that is the main part of all of the troubles, but yeah, they're gonna have to make a change if they want to, you know, be a little bit better, a little bit more efficient on offense. I mean, DJ just doesn't, he just ain't got it. I don't think I've ever seen him throw a complete spiral football in my life. Um, he's just, I don't know, whatever it is. He's not a top tier national championship winning quarterback. And those are the expectations that Clemson has. So um yeah, I, I see him getting benched at some point. But um, but yeah, yeah, he's just not it. J Law bet of the week. Who you got? You nailed yours last week. So you got some you got some you got some uh some I got you, you got right here. I'm ready. I know who it is. It's all minus. Of Carolina. Really like, really like Arkansas minus eight this week. I think they can win that game by 10 or more. Just looking at some other lines. If you want a big one to take, feel comfortable. Take Ohio State. I think they can win that game. I think they can cover their spread as well. Hmm, okay. So Arkansas minus eight at South Carolina and then, Ohio State, I think that's like 44 and a half. It's something just absurd. Um, mine, I'm going to go with Kentucky, and I'm trying to find the spread as of now. They're at the Swamp. I think you're going to have a little bit of a hangover game from the Gators, um, even though they're they're still at home. You know, how does Billy Napier, how does this new coaching staff handle the success? I mean, you beat a top 10 team at home. Right now it's Kentucky plus six. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take that. Um, you know, like I said, hangover game, can you get a repeat performance from Florida on both sides of the football? 
Um, also, how about this? Mark Stoops is tied for the all-time wins in Kentucky football history with Bear Bryant. So he's got a record on the line. They also haven't beaten Florida in back-to-back seasons in like 40-plus years. I think it was the 60s or 70s the last time they, they beat Florida back-to-back. So uh, there, there's this is an emotional game for Kentucky. And, um, you know, the running back was suspended against Miami, Ohio. They still won by 20 or something like that, 24. So uh, I, I'm calling Kentucky not necessarily with the upset, but to cover the six-point spread. Lester, who you got? What's the Auburn-Penn State line? Uh, Auburn's playing San Jose State, and they're favored by 23 as of now. Take San Jose State. <laughs> Say what? Take San Jose State. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm I'm so tired of underrating Bama. I'm gonna take Bama to cover against oh, Texas. Okay, man. I hope you're right on that one. Like, if you lose every single one the rest of the year, I hope you nail this one. I could, yeah. Until last week, I thought Utah State would put up 20 on this defense. Wrong. Wrong. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take Bama to cover. I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna lean on Will Will Anderson and company to get some stuff done this weekend. All right, let's do it, man. Um, I think Auburn would actually be a good bet to take also. Uh minus twenty-three. I think you're gonna get another I think you're gonna see more Robbie Ashford, which is more potential for big plays against a smaller competition. Um, so I think you're looking at probably whatever, forty five to thirteen, something like that for Auburn. I think they can cover this point spread easily. But um guys, uh you know, we appreciate y'all coming in, listening to us. Roll Tide. Um, next week, episode number 69. I'm still working on that big guest, by the way. I, I wanted to mention that. I forgot to mention it last week. It's in the works. I just don't have a definite date yet. But uh, something that we're, we're really working on for you guys. It's going to be big for the GRP. But, um, you know, until next week, Roll Tide. Horns down, always. Um, hook them down. Um Screw Texas, uh, episode 68, Gunpurners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. We're out of here.